We are blessed with such awesome praise teams. And I really miss hearing them live and in person. But it is good to just see them, at least in this way. You know, I wish that was one of my spiritual gifts, is leading in praise. Andrew could tell you I lead in praise at home all the time. Maybe she wishes I didn't, but I do. I love to run praise here at church one time and all those cool head movements and stuff, you know, all this stuff. I want to do that one day. So Pastor Otley, maybe some one-on-one coaching. I don't know how far back I am, but I know you're good, so maybe you could hook me up. (laughs) In all seriousness, I start off lighthearted because it's going to get a little deep and I just want us to have a moment of levity. I need to start, actually, with a word of caution. If you have real little children that you don't want to hear, you don't want them to hear sensitive information on race, please occupy them for the next few minutes, only until I pray, and then you can bring them back. And I'm not trying to, um, you know, be all uh, explanatory for for no reason. I, I just wanted to give you that heads up. I'm not going to get graphic, but I will mention a few things. So, let's begin. Last August, my family in New York, along with Andrea's family in Washington State, met down in Charlottesville, Virginia, to celebrate Andrea graduating from the University of Virginia with a PhD in clinical psychology. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Um, The first doctor in the Shisto family. Praise the Lord. My dad was so proud. He called his uncle in Portugal, a very humble man in a very humble town called Souza, and he told me that his uncle, Zé Carlos, heard the news about Andrea and started to cry overwhelmed that someone in his family was now a doctor. It was a very, very special weekend for us. One morning after breakfast, Max wanted to stay in the lobby with my parents while I went back to the room to get ready. And he started playing with another little boy who was there. After a while, this other little boy, who was white, went up to my mother and said, My daddy tells me that all black boys are bad. He added, but I'm not too sure about that. My mother's heart sank, as you could imagine. She said that her stomach was turned into knots. Here she was, celebrating with her daughter, soaking in the joy of being a grandmother and letting her grandson's laughter fill her heart when out of nowhere racism rose up and punched her in the face. This, my friends, is America. The smallest shred of hope can be seen peeking through this little boy who knew better than his father. Racism is not something that we are born with. Racism is taught. 
And in his precious mind, this child knew that his father was wrong. But, but, what do you think will happen if day after day, month after month, year after year, this little boy's father, his uncle, his brothers, his friends, continue to tell him the lie that black boys are bad. How will his little mind adjust to all that? Now, I know that even me talking about race makes people's blood pressure just go up. Makes a whole lot of us white folk uncomfortable. And we might be thinking, man, it's Sabbath, and we're just trying to have a good time. Why are you bringing all of this up? I'm doing it because the only way things are going to change, the only way we could right these wrongs, the only way forward as a follower of Christ is if all us white folk put as much energy into teaching our children what is right and equality as this little boy's father is currently putting into teaching his son white supremacy. You see how that works? Someone is teaching him a bad thing. We have to put as much energy, if not more, into teaching him a good thing. We cannot ignore matters of race or think it will miraculously just go away. No, we have to have the courage to confront it and to teach our children what's right. Being a follower of Jesus means standing up for love no matter the consequences. Even if, dare I say, We upset some church folk. The stakes are just too high, as we have seen in these past weeks. Do you know what happens if those of us who are white don't speak up? Do you know what happens if we remain silent, hoping all this race stuff will just go away? Do you know what happens if we avoid the topic because it makes us uncomfortable? Those little white boys who continue to hear the lie that black is bad grow up. And then one day they'll see a dark-skinned young man running in their neighborhood and they'll assume some things. They'll assume he is bad. They'll call their family. They'll get their guns. They'll jump in their trucks. They'll pursue him like they pursue a deer in the woods. They'll cut him off. They'll get out of their truck. They'll raise their weapons of death and they will execute him in broad daylight. I'm talking about Ahmad Arbery. We need to say that name, Ahmad 
Arbery, a 25-year-old prince, was killed because of the color of his skin. I wish I didn't see the video. You hear a shot and then you see a mist of red, heartbreaking, infuriating, terrorizing, just as maddening. The police arrive on the scene. They see an unarmed black body face down, dead in the street, and two white men standing above him, both with guns. Did the police arrest these two men? No. Even the district attorney was in on defending these killers. Why is it that everyone protects the killers who are white and no one protects the victims who are black? Why is that? Because they have all been taught the same thing. They have all been taught that black boys are bad. God help us if we do not have the courage to speak up about this. Let us pray. Jesus, we need you. I pray that as we study your word, that it changes our hearts. Help us to speak truth to power just as you did. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus confronted racism. He confronted racism, sexism, classism, all types of isms. And he did it without apology. Should we just ignore those parts of the Bible? Like we are followers of Jesus, we study scriptures, we study the Bible, and these things are in the Bible. Should we just ignore that because it makes us uncomfortable? Should we not talk about them on the Sabbath because we want to talk about other things? It would be pretty hard to ignore these passages because they're all over the place in Scripture. God stands up for the marginalized. Time and time again. You see it from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. That's the whole Bible. Every real follower is instructed by Jesus Christ to do the same thing. We are starting this two-part series on community engagement and outreach. At the Tacoma Park Church, we are all about engaging our community and reaching those who are in need. In fact, outreach is the second major point of emphasis in our plan for 2020, which was called Focus 2020. The F in focus stands for family, and Pastor Nixon did an excellent job in preaching a series on that. And the O in focus is for outreach. And that's what we are tackling today and next week. Even though COVID-19 has forced us to change a few things, we definitely do not want to let our foot off the pedal when it comes to engaging the community. 
Indeed, you heard Pastor Nixon just a few minutes ago say that we're planning to have 500 boxes of food that we give out to the community. More on that to come in just a bit. When it comes to reaching out to our neighbors, we have to keep that center and focused. So, why am I talking about race if this is an outreach message? Because we cannot engage our neighbor if we don't know who our neighbor is. Doesn't that make sense? We are going to explore this question today. A question that was asked of Jesus. Who is my neighbor? And it was perfect. It fits so nice in with Pastor Job's children's story. It got us primed and ready. Next week... We're going to discuss the specific things that we could do to help our neighbor. But this week, we're talking about who is our neighbor. I am so looking forward to sharing next week's message with you. Today, I'm going to be setting up a lot of things. But next week, mm, it's just really going to come together It's going to be powerful, and I really hope that you could come back and see how beautiful God's plan is for his people. But today we are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and starting with verse 25. The story is of the Good Samaritan, and as I said, we're already a little primed from the children's story. I will read it once in its entirety so that we could all get the context. Then I'll reread only the portions That apply to today's message, okay? I'll begin. Luke 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law, a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But this lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, said, Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse for any extra expense you may have. Wow. Verse 36, Which of these three, Jesus said, do you think 
was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. Jesus told him, go, do likewise. Powerful, powerful, powerful story. So much to unpack. And after a deep dive into this passage, we will never look at it the same again. I say deep dive. I firmly believe that the slower we read Scripture, the more we reread the same passage, the more alive the message becomes. The more the Holy Spirit reveals things. At least that is what it's like for me. So let's do that. Let's reread it slowly, pausing to give commentary. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a question. Can you imagine being there when Jesus was asked this question, everyone standing around must have been holding their breath. They turned to Jesus. What would he say? Countless people have wondered the same thing. How do I get to heaven? Have you ever thought of that? Well, Jesus is about to tell us in this story. He is about to break down what true religion is. It's not about buildings and structures or beliefs. True religion is about love. It always has been and it always will be. Verse 25, Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answered, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now notice something with me. This lawyer had his answer. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus told him. Why did this expert in the law continue? Why did he press Jesus on this? Maybe because he knew that there were people in his life that he did not love. There were people he did not consider to be neighbor. And he wanted Jesus to clarify that, to make sure that he was okay. So verse 29 says, but he, being the lawyer, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And that, my friends, is the heart of the matter. Who is our neighbor? How do you think the men who murdered Ahmad Arbery would answer this question? 
What do you think they would say about themselves? Would they admit that they're racist? Or would they say something like, we're really good people. I'm retired law enforcement, the father would say. You could say that he was like a a legal expert, just like the one we're reading about in Scripture. I think he would say that he loved his neighbor when asked genuinely. He would say that. But that's the thing. He and his son didn't see Ahmad Arbery as their neighbor. They saw him as something to be hunted. They did not love their neighbor. They chased and killed their neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Jesus starts to tell us in verse 10, in verse 30 of Luke 10. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A priest. Of all people, a priest passed him by. Someone who supposedly dedicated their lives to serve God saw a son of God suffering on the road, but couldn't bring himself to care because he didn't see him as his neighbor. Verse 32. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. Levites were another group of people that led worship in the temple of God. Priests and Levites were supposed to reveal God's love. That was literally their job. Their purpose for existing was to reveal God's love. How could they pass this guy on the other side? And to get to uh, be a priest or to get to be a Levite, they had to have the whole Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they had to have everything memorized. If they wanted to be a priest. Deuteronomy 10 verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow. And loves the foreigner. Giving him food and clothing. Therefore... Verse 19 says, love the foreigner, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. How are you going to have that memorized and then step over the foreigner to pass him by? Just as sad is that there's a whole lot of people who do not love foreigners today and guess what a lot of them also go to church the priest and the levite 
were working in the very presence of God, day in and day out, yet somehow they refused to let God's presence up in their heart. They were surrounded by God, but they didn't let God in. Is that true of us today? God help us. Verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now the full impact of Jesus confronting racism, because that's what Jesus is doing right here. The full impact of Jesus confronting racism is easy to miss because most of us don't know the historical context. Today we have a very positive association with the word Samaritan. Someone at home say, good Samaritan. Maybe every single time we have heard the word Samaritan, it's always been prefixed by the word good. The Good Samaritan, Good Samaritan Church, Good Samaritan Hospital, Good Samaritan this, Good Samaritan that. The, good, the word Samaritan gives us warm fuzzies. But 2,000 years ago, when Jesus told this story, people had a completely different take on the word Samaritan. They had a completely different association with that word. You saw it even in the children's story. God's chosen people hated Samaritans. There's this long history there, and it starts with when God's people were taken captive to Babylon, and then a few of them started to come back. They started to intermarry, and then they were seen as less than human. Bottom line is that God's people despised Samaritans. They were seen as demonic. Actually, the Gospel of John, religious leaders were so angry with Jesus that in order to insult him the worst, they said he is a Samaritan and he is demon-possessed. The word Samaritan was used as a curse word. We have similar words today in our language. Racist words that we used for certain groups of people. Words for black people, Spanish people, Middle Eastern people, Asian people. You know the words I'm talking about. So when Jesus says Samaritan, it was the modern day equivalent of Jesus using one of these words. Just let that sink in. Jesus said, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, this Samaritan had compassion on him. It was shocking, to say the least. Scandalous, even. Even disgraceful to some that Jesus would portray the priest as the bad guy and the Samaritan as the good guy? Friends, Jesus was not silent on matters of race, 
sex, and class. Unlike so many religious leaders of his day. And, oh yes, unlike so many religious leaders of our day. Jesus went there. Who is my neighbor? Ahmad Arbery is... Some fathers teach their children that all black boys are bad. But my heavenly father teaches me that every little black boy, every little black girl is precious in his sight. Every man, every woman, every child, every race, every country, every economic status, they're all precious to Jesus. We are all made in his image. And the reason people say black lives matter is precisely because to so many of us white folks, we act as if black lives don't matter. One of the lessons of the good Samaritan is that every human being that we encounter is our neighbor. And we are to love them as we love ourselves. And this is so important to Jesus that he says, this is the key to heaven. You want to get to heaven? This is the key. Do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love Ahmad Arbery as you love yourself? Ask yourself that right now. What about Brianna Taylor? The beautiful young brown-skinned woman who was gunned down in her bed. Is she your neighbor? What about Emmett Till? A 14-year-old that was lynched because someone said he looked at a white woman. Is he your neighbor? What about Medgar Evers who was killed because he fought for black people's right to vote? Or Martin Luther King Jr. who was assassinated because he had a dream that everyone was equal? Are they your neighbors? What about Trayvon Martin? Michael Brown? Eric Gardner? What about Freddie Gray or Sandra Bland or Philando Castile or... Tamir Rice, 12-year-old boy. Are they your neighbors? I know black people watching this think that these men, women, and children are our neighbors. What about those of us who are white? Are these people your neighbor? Do you see this group that I just listed as your neighbor? Do we see these children of God as our equal? If so, and if you see your neighbor gunned down in the street, are you not going to say something about it? That's just normal for your neighbor to be shot and you carry on with the rest of your day? Too many have died because we have kept silent. And the thing is, 
if we don't view these precious children of God as our neighbor, if we don't speak up and add our voice to condemn the racism that happens on a daily basis, if we don't do that, we are breaking God's command that he's telling us about right here in Luke 10. And if we break God's command, his judgment will be upon us. Our salvation is at stake here. If we do not love. We white folk need to speak up regardless of the consequences. And I'm not talking about speaking to black folk and trying to convince them that we are not racist. We love doing that. Oh, I'm not a racist because I have a co-worker who's black. As if that means anything. I don't know if you want like a, a get into the NAACP free card. What does that mean? Your co-worker is black. No, we need to cut all that out. And we need to speak up to other white people. Look at our scripture for today. The example Jesus is setting. Jesus was speaking to people just like him. People who had issues with Samaritans. He wasn't talking to a whole group of Samaritans saying, hey, I'm a good guy. He was talking to his people, telling them they have issues. We white folk need to talk to other white folk. I was preaching at a church once, not this church, and I condemned the KKK. Would you believe that several White members stood up and walked out. I won't embarrass anyone, but I'll just say that white people talk different when there isn't black folk around. I was at a gathering, and there weren't any black people at this one gathering. Conversation turned to politics, and someone said, Another black in the White House? No way. I was shocked by what I heard, and I looked around to see if anyone was going to say anything. No one said a thing. In the end, our black brothers and sisters will not remember the words of their enemies. They will remember the silence of their friends. Dear God, Grant us the courage to confront racism as you confronted it. So I'm glad you're listening to this message at home instead of at church. Some of us need to fall to our knees right now and ask God to forgive us for keeping silent. And we're going to do that in just a moment. But I want to end with this. As deep as everything that we have just covered is, the most profound lesson in this passage of Luke chapter 10, the most paradigm-shifting breakthrough that is hiding in plain sight, the most beautiful aspect of God's Word that you have never seen before in this passage is what we are going to discuss next week.
I'm serious. I'm not overhyping it. Come back next week and we will put all of these pieces together. And you will see a picture of Jesus that will make you cry. You will cry next week. I'm telling you. Today, we learned that we cannot engage our community. Talking about community engagement. We cannot engage our community if we do not know that every single person is our neighbor. Next week, we will finish this and see how when we reach out to those in need, we literally change the course of history. But we cannot end a message like this without an appeal. And I appeal to all listening, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you want to worship this God who is crushing racism, if you want to accept Him into your life as Lord, then leave a comment on Facebook or on YouTube, wherever you're listening. We'll see that. We'll reach out to you. Maybe that's too bold and you're not ready for doing that. Just raise your hand. Jesus will see you. If you want to accept Jesus into your heart, He is the God who crushes racism. He is undoing all the evil things in our world. Why wouldn't we throw ourselves at His feet? He wants to love us and protect us. Choose Him right now, today. Amen. Amen. God sees you. I also have a special appeal to my white brothers and sisters. There may be some who have heard the word of the Lord and felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you have been harboring racism in your heart. And let me uh, give a little spoiler. If you are white, you are racist. I am white. I am racist. Racism is baked into the United States of America. It was founded on slavery, so we're all a victim. It's only a matter of who is woke enough to understand. Who understands that they are racist and is trying to get out. So no, I'm not there yet. It's a journey and it will only conclude when Jesus returns. So if you accept that it's a fact, that if you accept that it's even in your heart, I want to ask you to fall to your knees right now with me. And we will ask the Lord to forgive us. And we will ask the Lord to give us a new heart. And we will ask Him to reveal to us. Maybe some of us can't even see it. You're the one that needs to fall to your knee first. Because if you cannot see it, you're worse off than everyone else. Let us pray right now, wherever you are. If it's possible to fall to your knees, fall to your knees. If not, just bow your head with me and we'll pray. Father in heaven, we have been touched by the Holy Spirit with this message. We have seen you confront racism head on when you walked this earth. 
You didn't back down from it. You confronted it and you are crushing it. You want every single one of your followers to follow in your footsteps. And so, Lord, we have fallen to our knees because the first step is to admit it. We are sinful. We have racism in our heart that you need to expunge. You need to eradicate. We can't do it. We're not strong enough, but you are, Lord. And this prayer is in accordance to your will. And so we pray that right now. Take it from us, Lord. Give us a sensitivity. Help us to see things as our black brothers and sisters see them. Help them to walk. Help us to walk in their shoes, even if just a little bit, so we understand. Help us to use our voice to give honor and dignity to all of our black brothers and sisters. Father, when you come, we want to be saved into your kingdom. And you said the key to heaven is to love God and to love our neighbor. My prayer is that as we leave today, we leave with the knowledge that every single one of your children is our neighbor. Thank you for blessing us, Lord. Be with us as we go into the rest of the Sabbath. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to please consider donating to the Tacoma Park Church. We are a place that is serious about our neighbor. We are a place that is serious about reaching our community for the gospel of Jesus Christ and changing lives, not just when we get to heaven, but changing lives right here. Come back next week, hear how this story ends, see how you could change someone's life is our prayer. We'll see you then. God bless you.